Hello, everybody. Here I'm there to talk about Anchor. It's one of the best podcast uh, platforms that you can you can uh, go on. You can put all your podcasts on Apple, Google, any place. Any place to put up your podcast, you could all do it in one place. Anchor has all the tools to allow you to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or computer. And you can distribute any of your, your podcasts on any platform like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, you know, Anchor, Stitcher, iHeart, everything. It's everything you need you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. And let me tell you, I have had great experience with Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started today. That is Anchor FM to get started today. I'm listening to Joe's show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. And this is Detroit. And obviously that is the sound of baseball. And we will not be getting baseball this year because Rob Manfred is an idiot. The owners are an idiot. And the players are idiots. <laughs> so everybody's an idiot, Joe. Even though, you know, we are your hometown team, by the way, for those of you, you, wanna, you wanna... who don't remember. Joe is just too hyped up. He forgot to put the tagline in there. Um, but uh, I don't think they're just stupid. I, I think, I know you're thinking that they're stupid. You've made that clear. I don't think they're stupid. I just think they're failing to see things from the other side. You know, they're they're getting mired down in some of these details. What they have to figure out is... What does each side intrinsically want? And that's what you do when you go into negotiations anyway. You know, is it a matter of do the players want opportunities or do they want security? Do the owners want to pay now or do they want to pay later? Because they're going to have to pay sooner. They're going to have to pay at some point. Here's the problem. Both of these dollars, including that dumb piece of garbage named Rob Manfred, they are... Equally killing the sport by themselves. They do, do re- those t- people do realize, right? That baseball isn't very uh, well liked. It's the American pastime. You know why it's the American pastime? Because <laughs> every it's past its time. Because <laughs> every person that, that watches that is over sixty-five and older, and they drive a grand marquee. Okay? <laughs> I don't want to hear about that. You got to make baseball cool again. You know, we had a president one time that said. Make America, bah, whatever. Great. Make America great again. We need to make baseball cool. So see, here's the problem. They need cheerleaders. No, they do not need cheerleaders. (laughs) It'd be be like the failed experiment of the Ice Girls, paging the Dallas Stars. Right, right, right. No, I I agree with you. You They've got to, you know what, they have to bring back the nostalgia of baseball I've said that, you know, what they need to do is, you know what, I, I've got to... You know what, here's, here's what you need to do. Let these players start juicing again. Just ah, roid up and just start... There you go, Joe. bombs out the place. That's, Advocate for drug use. I don't think so. No, uh, I think... You know what they should all do? Here, here's a negotiating tactic. Everybody needs to watch Bull Durham, The Natural... And uh, what's another great baseball movie? You realize all those baseball movies that you just named? Get all charged up. 40 years older. Well, I'm old. Right. But I'm just saying, you bring back the... When was baseball great? You want to bring back the time when they were great. You want to watch those things. Watch, um, you know, watch watch The Babe. That was a good movie. The Babe, The Natural. Those are all when people loved baseball because it touched a place inside of them and made them 
remember when they were kids. That's what you got to do. That's what old people want, Joe. We want to remember when they're kids. See, you don't have that issue because you're too close to have been a kid. You are a kid. That's the well, issue. Here's the, here's the problem. Here's the problem. They're not attracting younger audience. They're not attracting those people because they make the game so boring. Have you ever gone to a game and gone, oh my god, like this is the most boring thing I've ever like been a part of? I've heard that I have heard that criticism of baseball my whole life because as you know my dad was a ball player I was raised on right. baseball I watched baseball growing up as a kid I interestingly enough I never found it boring and I'll tell you why I didn't find it boring because my dad made it fun and interesting because my dad had stories he could tell me as we were watching the right. game he had you know he, he made he walked me through the uh, through the plays he was watching now watch that guy he's gonna watch he's gonna steal second or he's gonna you know or whatever's gonna happen and I think that's what they need to do maybe they need to get some more um, interesting commentators to make the game exciting well, and fun. There, there's a start there you go there's a start but here, here's the issue you go to the ballpark you know you, you pay you pay to get in there about you know usually it can range from like 12 to 100 bucks or whatever or if you live in New York it might be like $300 well, you know, that's the other problem with getting people to games. I'll tell you what, is the amount, what it costs to go to a professional sporting event now is insane. So you're having a hard time even getting people you're, in there. You're playing in young my, families. You're, you're playing in my next point. If you're going to be, if you're going to go, if you're going to go, if you're going to go to a game, right? If you're going to go to a game. Yeah. You want to be entertained. You want to be entertained. Right, absolutely. It's when you went to the Red Wings game this, this past week, yeah, Colorado, yeah, they lost, but you had you were probably entertained. Yeah, it was entertaining. Of yeah. course, it was in baseball. But you know what made it fun and entertaining were the people sitting in our section because uh-huh. they were just flat out crazy. But they were a lot of fun. See, but go if, ahead. If you have good people sitting in your section, it's a difference. It makes a big difference. But baseball yeah. is like this: Tigers. I went to a game last year. Blessed Jenna's heart. She bought me tickets. Mm-hmm. She took me to this game. Most boring game of my life. And it lasted four hours. And I, le- I le- we left way before that. Because it was... Who were they playing? It was the White Sox. But they, it was so boring. Like, the game wasn't... It wasn't fun. Like, it wasn't... There was nothing exciting. Like, it was... It was just... And you know what's really killed baseball? Is analytics. To be honest. Now, wait a minute. You're here. You are. You are somewhat of a statistician, yep. and you have an analytical model that's actually pending, patent pending. So this is a big part of your uh, sports repertoire, and you're telling me that analytics is ruining baseball. Why? Because when they do the shifts and they do all this, like it just it kills offense. Like it just kills offense. Like more than any other sport. Like you, like if you watch basketball, like the three point is like the big analytical. Gotta hit it, gotta hit it, gotta hit it. Hockey, it's puck possession, right? Football, it's it's just playing your... Play. They don't really have great analytics in football because there's really no way I looked at it really, like, gauge it. But in baseball, then they do the double shit, when they do the shifts, like, they'll move over, they'll have a second baseman playing, like, right field because they know the guy hits in the right field all the time. That's killed baseball and that's killed offense. People like offense. Well, yeah, and they like to see the they like to see the big hitters. They like to see the um, you know really aggressive um, you know uh, 
lineups. They like to see, um, but you know, they also like to see great plays out in the outfield. They do. They, I mean, great, they, they do, great but, fielding they plays. They do, but when like when you have the shift, right, and a guy that you know is going to hit the right field is going to hit the right field because he really can't hit nowhere else. It when he hits uh, when he hits uh, the right field, like oh yeah, there's in it. It's over. It's like whoa, like that's that's that was so freaking fun. Like the the ba- problem with baseball is is they don't even understand that they're killing their own sport. So what do they do to end the strike? I mean, okay, we talked about it. I think there was a couple of things we hit on that I think speaks to why baseball is struggling. One, the cost of going to those games, you're saying, and I agree with you, they can't get young people engaged. But you know why? Young people and young families can't afford to go to sporting events, so they can't get any engaged I don't, in the game. I don't agree with that because I think younger families choose that they want to be entertained, okay? So when you go to a football game, you're entertained. When you go to a basketball game, except if you live in Detroit, you are entertained. <laughs> if you go to a hockey game, you're you're very entertained because it's nonstop. Just it's like I took Jenna to a hockey game, right? Right. She's not a big sports fan, but she's like, whoa, like, oh yeah. Well, look, hockey. You just said hockey's got to be. And I said this when I was at the game the other day. Hockey is far and away the most exciting sport to watch it is just, it's the bomb it is you can't go to a hockey game and not have the adrenaline pumping just because of the speed just because of the nature of the game the fights the un, unexpected that's the thing in hockey you have a lot of unexpected baseball tends to be very predictable yeah it's very predictable so and if, it's you're, kind if, of you're, if you're a family think about it if you're a family and you want your night out to be fun You'll go to a thing that's something that is exciting. You know what I'm saying? Well, and also hockey players and even football players, they tend to engage the crowd. They engage the people that are there. They interact with them. I think baseball players need to do more of that. I'll tell you one thing I've noticed about baseball players, especially over the last 10 years, maybe even 20 years, is they've become far more arrogant than they've ever been. Yep. And they think that they're all that. They think they're prima donnas and they're, they, they are above engaging with the crowd. They've got to start... Fan engagement in baseball has gone into the crapper, and that's a huge thing too. So I think baseball needs to become more more affordable. It needs to become more engaging. I mean, and if you're gonna watch it on TV, Joe, it's got to be damn more entertaining than it is because the commentators suck. And, I mean, think about this. Where's I mean, my Ernie Harwell? He was born too. Of course he was, but there's got to be more of them out there. Here's here's the problem. If you go to if you, if you go to Tigers games, where are the most sold out Tigers games? Oh, it has to be New York Yankees. The Yankees are one. Absolutely. When the Dodgers come to town, they're they're another one. Yep. They have, they well, they're usually, legacies. They usually have a good team. You're looking at legacies, Ano- ano- yeah. Another team that usually now now that they have two those the best players in baseball, they attract so many fans. The Angels of Anaheim or Los Angeles or whatever the hell they. They'll never be the Anaheim Angels to me. They're always going to be the California Angels. But anyway, that's just me. Because you know well, what? One the, of my but best... Now they are the Los Angeles and, and, and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. One of that's ridiculous. One of my favorite players of all time played for the California Angels. Who was it? Most notable players on the California Angels, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson played for the California Angels. Silence. Crickets. Crickets. It's all. But no, I mean, I'm just saying. But here's the other thing. I know Reggie Jackson from a Yankee uniform. Uh, Yes, he did. Then he went and played for the Angels. I know he came from the Yankees. No one cares about the Buster part of the year. But what I'm saying is that it leads me to my last point, and that is 
You don't have personalities in baseball anymore. No. Miguel Cabrera, maybe. Trout, uh, maybe. Trout, maybe. But you maybe. But you don't have to have. I mean, to have. I mean, well, baseball, I, baseball is a problem. But baseball is identically what the NHL had a couple of years ago of marketing their players. They don't market their players. There well. you go. Like they, they, they go. don't go. Oh, this guy is a this guy is a, a all he's all star. He's one of the best players in the in majors. Like they went they uh, Aaron Judge went out in the in uh, Manhattan and they asked him. They asked, he asked people who the fair player was. He's now remind you, Aaron Judge is not a small little fellow, right? He's right. He's six seven and two forty five. So like. You're probably thinking, and they like, didn't know who that's who they were talking to. They're like Aaron Judge, and then uh, he's uh, like, "Good pick." He, he's like, he looks at the camera, and goes, "They didn't even know." <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. So baseball has not done a very good job in marketing their players. Their players are not engaging with the fan base like they used to. I think that's a huge. I think probably more than anything, Joe. If I were to hang my hat on one reason why baseball has slid as far down as it has. It's the players' arrogance and lack of engagement with the fan base, and it's combined with the owners and the teams who have not marketed those players properly. So I don't know if but what it is. You have a disconnect. That's my point. There is a disconnect between the players and the base, the fan bases. So, but let's talk about just for a few minutes before we uh, end this segment. Let's talk about the lockout. Let's talk about the negotiations. And kind of some of the points uh, where Rob Man- I think... Rob Manfred finally made an appearance. I was about to say... <laughs> Hooray! I was about to say, you know, um, what do you think are the most salient points? And where where do you think progress can be made to at least get us to start a season somewhere close to on time? I hate to break it to the, the masses. I don't think baseball owners want to get this thing started. And I'm not saying the top. I'm not saying some of the top owners of baseball, the Steinbrenners, you know, the uh, the Dodgers owners, the Yankees own the, the Steinbrenners, obviously, the Mets owner, Chris Illich. I think they want to get the, 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 the game started. I think there's a vast majority of baseball owners who don't want to play all 182 games. And why don't you think they want to? Do you think it's just a cost savings measure? What do you think? Well, I was talking to my people. Oh, here it goes. We have our people. Joe has people. I was talking to my people, and they told me, don't expect baseball to start until May. That's when spring training will start. And the regular season... Spring training's not going to start until May? That's You're almost to summer. Okay, You're going to have spring training in summer. No, let me go on. Spring training will start in May. They will finally start baseball, the regular season, by July 1st. That's absurd. So, yeah, that's that's basically what it's come down to. And the, one of the things, one of the things is uh, that's been that I was told is that all these all these baseball owners that they want to get the game started, the, the big ones want to get the game started. The Tigers, the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, all these guys want to get their the Braves. The Braves just want a World Series, and no one even knows because they're in this. Got a wretched lockout, but a lot of these, a lot of these owners don't want to play. Like I was telling you before, I was telling you before we came on. Did you know half the league is under a hundred million dollars in payroll? Yeah, that's kind of insane. 
that's surprise. I don't know if I would say it's surprising to me, but I can see where that would be. Uh, that's an issue. You want you want a reason why why baseball isn't a big time thing? Is because it's kind of like basketball. It's become a little bit like basketball. Except people like basketball because it's exciting. It's faster paced. It's more interesting to watch. But yeah. The problem with basketball is these teams that have no shot. You really expect their fans to come to, to the, the ballpark or the, the arena and, and be like, yay, we have a shot, right? No, you have no shot. It's like Pistons fans. They're like, they're like, we have no effing shot. We have no effing shot. Well, you know, I'm curious what the Tigers are going to do to get people in seats this year because, um, you know, last year people were starting to go to those games and watch those games, pay attention to waiting for Miggy to hit 500. Well, now that that's already happened, they're what bring, have they got to sell now? They're young studs. In, I think they're going to bring on Riley Green to start the year. But, see, that's the problem with another thing in baseball is they manipulate the service time so they don't pay the players until they get to a certain age and they can be like, yeah, we don't have to pay them now. Well, you know, the players did concede something on as a matter of service time, and that is that they agreed to uh, granting service time to fewer players than they did before. So that narrows the scope for the owners, but I don't think it was enough. Uh, I think one area where both sides have a lot of room to move, quite frankly, uh, is on minimum salaries because the MLB um, was offering six hundred and forty thousand. That's an increase of ten thousand from what they did, uh, with ten thousand dollar raises each year. And the union uh, is asking for seven seventy five minimum with thirty thousand dollar raises per year. And your minimum salary in twenty one was like five hundred seventy thousand five hundred something like that. So between six forty and seven seventy five, I think there's a lot of move, room to move. And between get, ten and thirty thousand, there's a lot of room. You can to move. even get in the middle. Well, that's what I'm. That's my point. Is I think that that's a huge but piece the problem, of the, the CBA the, that could be that could be the settled. The problem is. They don't want to budge. Either side don't want to budge. The owners don't want to. Some of the owners don't want to even play until May. Well, here's the thing: they're going to have to budge somewhere because if they don't, everybody at the end of the day, the longer this goes, the more it's going to cost everybody because of the opportunity costs for both sides, but the revenue as well. Add dollars because you're going to have other sports that are going to come online if they don't wait until if they wait until July. Joe, they're going to have revenue for basically July and August, but then you've got end of August, beginning of September, you got NFL opportunities yep. for advertisers. You got the NHL that's going to start up yep. again. So Basketball. you're going to have to compete with all those other sporting events. Baseball could essentially corner, they do corner the market essentially in June and early July because there's no other sports playing. And what the hell? You think they don't know this? They I'm, know this. I'm going to, I'm going to say this mildly, but the XFL, which they're becoming like associated with the NFL, mm-hmm. they're gonna be playing their games in the spring. So I don't know if the MLB is aware, but uh, you're gonna have someone hot on your heels during the spring once too. I think they're playing a game of chicken right now, and I I think we're probably closing the segment out. But I think they're playing a game of chicken right now. They're saying, "Hey, look, we're not doing anything unless we get a deal done by Monday." I guarantee you, if things don't make considerable progress over the weekend. That timeline is either going to get reset they're or... Not, they're not resetting the timeline. Or, I, I don't know, I think that... Well, I don't think they're going to sit here in this stalemate because it's not good for anyone. I think this is a, a leverage and a tactical move to get some people to make some serious decisions you, you, over the you, weekend. You come from the most stubborn people in the world. <laughs> okay? You of all people should know. 
When you get are you speaking of of the Italian American heritage? No, 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 no. no. no don't <laughs> are you give calling me, us stubborn? Don't get me in trouble, okay? <laughs> I mean the politicians. Oh, I see the politicians. They, those people are the most stubborn oh, okay. people. Got it. Hey, 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 listen, listen. I did this because I did this because you know, for the good of the country. It's like. No, no, the fuck, no, the hell you didn't. They all end up, but you know what? Everybody, a concession is usually made at the end of the day because why? Because everybody wants to get reelected. Same thing. Everybody wants to start earning some money, and that's the reality of the situation. I think they're. I think this is more of a. a this is just putting pressure on the sides to come in there and and start making some movement. I think that the. I think they both know this. Um, it's it's time to stop playing games. Let's start playing baseball. And I don't think they'll play till May. And I think baseball is dead. Sad, sad, Joe. Sad. Yeah, Let's talk well, hockey. It's a lot more exciting. Well, you know, at least, at least, at least hockey. They actually like every team actually tries to get mid play. So join us in the next segment. We're going to be talking the Red Wings, and we're going to be talking NHL hockey. That'll be. Welcome to Cindy Joe Show. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy. Listen. On the wild side. Yeah. That's us, Joe. We're wild side all over the place. My mom loves Motley Crue, so you know. I know I grew, she up, does. I grew up on the Motley Crue. You were at the Brumman's game, and uh, you jinxed them again. I get out of here. They couldn't even see me this time. Well, sort of, kind of. You I were on the fourth row. What are you <laughs> talking about? <laughs> well, and I have to admit, I did. I did go down and get some footage of um, warm-ups, as I always do. You know, I get usually some pretty good uh, still photos. I get some good video. And every now and then I even post that on Motor City Ice Queen or Between the Whistles. Yeah, I think the thing that, I think the thing that really just, I don't know, it, it, it's about the Reb, you know, the Reb is they're, they're getting more and more behind from, you know, Boston's on a run right now. Columbus is on a run of all things. They're, I think they're 10 points out the last time I checked. Well, they, they they need to get on the run real quick. Well, the game against the Avalanche that I was there, you know, I was hoping that uh, that would be an exciting game. It's always a good rivalry. You know, all the VIPs are there. You know, I saw, you know, Darren and uh, and uh, Darren McCarty, as you know, all of us um, who watch and listen to Between the Whistles know we're, we're buddies. And um, didn't get a chance to actually connect with Darren, but saw him and um, – he was, of course, not hanging out with me because he was hanging out with more important people like um, Dave Coulier and um, Jeff Daniels. Uh, so, you know, he's hanging out with actors and comedians and stuff. You know, he didn't have time for politicians. But um, it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of great people there. It was a sold-out crowd. There was a lot of energy, which was greater felt sold out. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, it was full full arena and... Um, you know, we were all looking forward to a very exciting game. I think it didn't quite deliver. It was a little disappointing. I got the thing what made the game actually fun and interesting was the crowd that we were with that was in our section. We saw oh, there was a marriage proposal. Oh god. I she hate said those. yes. I hate those. Congrats. I hate those. <laughs> you know, I wish I wish Then she went on to spill the poor guy's beer. He handled it very listen, well. Listen, I, I think I think if you are a, a man and you decide to uh, propose at a sporting event I hope she says no, because you're an idiot. <laughs> because think, she think, think, it. no, think about, it. think about. It. Oh, stop. this is this is you are on the first day of being engaged, right? 
you just proposed at a sporting event. Now, you're a woman. You know what I'm about to say. Yeah. What do women always do when they get older? I can't believe that you proposed to me at a Wings game. I couldn't have got a nice dinner. I couldn't have got engaged with, like, a sweet, like, song. I couldn't have got engaged under a nice sunset. No, I got engaged with a bunch of drunk people. <laughs> well, I got to tell you. You know what's about to happen. 20 years down the road, she'll be like, she'll be like, you remember when you proposed to me at a Red game? You, you inconsiderate asshole. <laughs> and you're going to be like, see, it's like, when you put when you when you when you deal with women, you gotta you gotta play mental gymnastics, you know? Like if I don't do if I do this, it's gonna cost me a long run. See my grandpa taught me this, this guy. He's been married fifty years. He knows he knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He he told me one time, he goes, I know you love sports. Don't ever think that you can get proposed at a game. And I was like, What what? What? I was like twelve years old, right? So I'm not even thinking about marriage. I'm just like, okay. And he's like he's like, because you'll never hear the end of it. I bet that guy will never hear the end of it. Well, she said yes. So he got the answer he wanted. If he's gonna, he's gonna benefit now. He might have to pay later, but you know, who knows? Those divorce papers come, don't come cheap. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think it was a little disappointing. You know, I I think that also there was something really missing from that game that and this really had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. It had to do with the experience of the game. There should have been at least one solid fight in that game. Just for old times' sake, every time we play Colorado. Because you know why? And Darren said this, and I saw, I heard him say it too on one of his podcasts recently. But, you know, uh, Peter Forsberg hates us. Mm-hmm. Like, he hates us, right? And so, I think just for that reason alone, there really should have been a fight. Um... You know, but, you know, Gavani Smith once was not in the lineup. And obviously, you know, his brother just was claimed off waivers. And so, you know, he's gone. He was here for three games and gone. Back to Tampa. Sadly. Which, I'll be honest with you, the whole way that thing went down, I think it was all, that was all pre-engineered. I think that it happened exactly the way they wanted it to happen for some business reason. But, um, I don't know. I just just think that was all pre-engineered. But. No, so he didn't have. I I do I I I do. It was too it was too convenient. Um, but nonetheless, we didn't have Gavani Smith out on the ice, so you know that kind of sucked. I think it was a three game trial, and they said, "Okay, see." Yeah, it could have been. It could have been, but um, so that was unfortunate. Valeno was lighting it up at the uh, AHL rink, so. Yeah, but you know, again, you know, I don't think you didn't see Valeno really stepping up in that game against the Avalanche. But you know what you did see, what you did see. Obviously, uh, I was a little disappointed. You know, Lucas Raymond played well, but you know who played better, and that was my man, Mo Sider. Mo Sider, I'll tell you, poise. Wise beyond his ears. My gosh, the poise that that guy has. I mean, I remember watching him. He's coming out and always at the point and when he should be. He was always in position. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, he just just a beautiful. He had a, uh, uh, I think it was somewhere in the second period. He had. A puck come his way that wasn't intended to, but he found it on his stick. He just smoothly turned that thing around and, you know, made the play and or, or made a play happen. And when it was, I mean, and just did it so smoothly, just as if he expected it to be there. And you could tell that it, it wasn't part of the play. But, I mean, Cider is just, what a stud. I mean, that guy is an all-star waiting to happen. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of Lucas Raymond. But I got to tell you, there wasn't a part of me that was not excited every time I saw the, you know, 
Larks, Bertuzzi, Raymond, um, um, uh, Cider, and uh, I think that Zadina uh, was in that lineup. Yeah. Every time that line came out, just seeing those four guys together, uh, those first four, it, it made me excited that they were on the ice. But So uh, Mo Cider, of course, did not disappoint. That was one of the bright spots for me. The other thing that I saw, though, Joe, that a lot of people, I don't know if other people saw this watching, but I sure saw it from the fourth row there in Section 112. Great seats, by the way. Uh, um, shameless plug. Shame- <laughs> well. They were, uh, no, normally that's not my section. You know, normally I sit kind of next to so the home bench. But anyway, my point is, what I'm saying is that you really saw the value of the veterans. You saw the value of Sam Gagne, just solid, you know. Um, you saw the other veterans as well, uh, Stahl. You know, you saw those guys just absolutely, you saw the experience. Ex- you saw that experience play out on the ice. The other young guys, they might have been faster, but boy, they were not nearly as put together and poised with the exception of most cider. They weren't nearly as um, collected. They weren't as solid. They weren't as reliable as those veterans. You just felt the stability of that veteran presence, uh, particularly with those two. I was also would have loved to have seen uh, Ned and Net. I, I think that could have made a difference. Uh, Grice made a couple good saves. There wasn't, not that he didn't, but um, I, I really think... They were just, bottom line, end of the day, the Avs defense was absolutely stellar. It really was. It explains why they are, where they are in the standings. Their defense was outstanding, and it made me sick. (laughs) Well, I I hate to burst your bubble. I didn't know I had a bubble going, except for most cider. (laughs) hate to burst your bubble, but I feel different from you. I don't want the veterans on this team. I think they are the insequential part of this team being not as good as they can be. And I say this I say this with all reason too. I think I think that Letty has played himself out. I think Stahl has played himself out. I think Sam Gagne has played himself out. And I think the problem with this team is they only have one good line. And maybe two good lines when you, you take Bertuzzi, you put him on a second line with Suter and everything. The reality is this team is like, for everything you, you want to gleam about, oh, yeah, I saw progress. I saw these leaks. You just love the older person. I'm telling, <laughs> you, I'm telling you right now that the Red Wings right now are either, they're a little stagged and they need the... Uh, some of their younger players to take the next step because yeah, it's great that Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond, and uh, Sider play great, right? But to get to that championship level, that Stanley Cup level, you need to have two good lines, at least two good lines. This team only have a, they have one good line and they have one defensive player who's good. They have leadership. Larkin has been a leader this whole year. They need, they need they need talent on. They need depth and they need talent. That's what they need. Well, and I'll tell you the other thing that I was disappointed. I was really disappointed in the officiating of this game. Oh, here we go again. I was absolutely disgusted with the calls that weren't made and the calls that were made. They were calling the most BS stuff against us, and. They weren't calling. If you couldn't, I'll tell you what, Joe. 
But it happened right in front of me. I think Bertuzzi I, got tripped going into the ozone. They had two guys on him. He gets tripped. Stevie Wonder could have made that call. That's how obvious it was. They were the only ones on the ice. They're the only ones in the zone. And that, I don't know what the official was doing there. What else could he have been watching? There was nothing else to distract him. They were the only ones there. And he couldn't make that tripping call? That was incredible. That was disgusting. We had disgusting officiating in that game. That didn't help matters. I think the Wings probably would have lost it anyway because they didn't have a whole lot of pep in their step until the third period. In fact, halfway through the third period. But I'm not saying it would have saved the game. But it would have been, I mean, give me a break. I'm at least expecting the officiating to be on par with I, league standards. I, I think you're way off stance. I think the, the I was there. I saw it. I think the officiating was good in that game. You're yes. nuts. You're, you're out. You're out. You're out to lunch. The only call I didn't like was the Rasmussen call where he got called for tripping. He was falling. That's the only one I didn't like. What about the missed call on Bertuzzi? And you know what? Let's play the game. Oh my God! I can't even believe you're saying this. You and you know what? See, here's the here's the problem. Here's the problem with people. They want these penalties. Penalties. Let's just water down the game of penalties. I don't want penalties. Let's play a clean game. And if the refs are going to call these, they're not going to call these calls. Then keep it the, st- the same standard the whole effing game. Period. If you're not going to keep that same standard, it's like in the Super Bowl when we've seen the Rams get magically get 15 flags on the last drive. It's like keep the same standard of officiating, and that's the problem with the officiating in, in sports. Is a lot of the times these these bastard refs want to want to make they want to be big big sausage Bob, and they want <laughs> and they, they want to say. I'm going to insert my dominance in here. And it's like, bro, you literally just cost someone a game. Well, that's not... All right, fine. I mean, I'm not arguing that that doesn't happen sometimes. But what I'm telling you is I felt that there were several missed calls from the officials in that game. And that did not help the viewing experience. And it certainly didn't um, do anything for the value in terms of the integrity of the game. Um so I was disappointed in one, the lack of physical play. Two, the officiating. So one's on the Red Wings. They, they just didn't play physical enough. You and I have talked about it numerous times. When do the Red Wings shine? When do they really find themselves kind of in the pocket and in the groove? It's when they're playing physical. You know, multiple times I saw Raz come up to the, you know, come up to the glass and he goes and puts a hit on somebody. And it was like a love tap. It was like, give me a break. Again, the guy's got to start using his size. Adam Ernie didn't wasn't as physical as he could have been, and that by there was another BS call on Ernie, um, that BS penalty call. That should have never happened anyway. But we just didn't have the physicality that it's going to take for the Red Wings to win, and what makes them really do well. It's their style of play. I'll tell you what though, Bert came to play. Bert was playing well. Um, Probably a little better than I'd seen Burt play. In fact, he converted one of the people that went to the game with me. wasn't a big Bertuzzi fan. And after watching him play against the Abs, he said, oh, I like Bertuzzi now. You know, he was a fan of his uncles, but wasn't a fan of little Burt. And, and now he is. And um, I will say Burt played well. Burt's, Burt's becoming a very solid player. I'm so happy to see the success of that surgery because, you know, I was concerned about that. Yeah. And Burt is proving over and over again that he has eclipsed he's one that of the best, challenge. He's one of the best players in the, in the, in the team. Oh, yeah. The pro- Bert's the, a solid the, guy. The, the problem is they don't have enough of these guys. They don't have enough of these guys. They have a bunch, they have a bunch of guys that, that they wouldn't even make the roster of the Lightning, 
They wouldn't make the roster of uh, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. They wouldn't make the roster of the Colorado Avalanche. The, rea- the reality of the situation is that Colorado game showed you how just mismatched the Red Wings are. They are not as good as the Colorado Avalanche. They're not even close to being as good as the Colorado Avalanche. When you have Nazim Kadri on your third line, you're talking about a guy who is, well, he goes up to the second line too, but when you're talking about a guy like Kadri on your third line or Tyson Jost on your third line, that's like an abundance of uh, freaking players and talent. I mean, for God's sakes, Corey Perry, who is one of the best goal scorers in the last decade, is playing on the fourth line of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, again, well, and we talked about this. Depth has always been, you know, that's a challenge for rebuilding teams because, you know, they got to build that depth. That it looked like, you know, it wasn't about a month ago. It looked like the Red Wings were heading in the right direction. I, I've been Their lines you, were coming along. I have been telling you for the whole year, they are a one-line team. And one guy on defense. That's all they are right now. That is, I think, where they struggle is absolutely Phil, in the D. There's no thank question. God, thank God CBY didn't give Philip Ronick this big deal because he has been awful. You know, I thought of that when Danny I was De- watching De- the Danny DeKaiser, as much as I like him, he has been good. Mark Stahl, he's, he's got concrete pillars as legs. And Nick Gladdy, I don't know what the hell has happened to him. He's he's not playing the same that he played in New York. It's just... It's sad to see. But, you know, you look at the forwards, and you look at the forwards, and you go, okay, Fabry, did he step up? No. Did Suter step up? Suter's been playing pretty good. But he, Suter was playing well, but he didn't but, play well against he, the Avalanche. But he's a third-line center on a good team. Mm-hmm. And he's a second-line center for the Detroit Red Wings. You look at Zadina, as great as I think he's going to become, because I think he's going to, I think he's really going to start to mature. Get, he's starting to feel it out, especially playing with Larkin and Raymond. But I, just, I think he's still too erratic, but that's my point. I think he'll get there. But, I mean, you look at this team and you go, who, who, which one of these guys can you for sure pencil in as a guy who will be here when the Revenues are contending for a Suns Cup championship? Cider. Raymond. Raymond. Larkin. Larkin Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi. That's four guys. I mean, that's four guys. Maybe you can say Nadalkovich. Maybe. Because, I'd say Nadelkovich, yeah. Because sometimes he lets in these, these bad goals. Uh, I mean, obviously Grace won't be here. Uh, Nick Letty won't be here. This team is far away from what they potentially could become. You know, I, everyone likes to chastise the Blashell and Jeff Blashell, and it's become like the whole, oh, let's, you know, it's Blashell's fault. It's Blashell's fault. What? What? With what talent? They are a one-line team, and they play in the Eastern Conference, where, and they play in the they play in the Atlantic Division, which has the Maple Leafs, the Bruins, the Lightning, and the Florida Panthers. Well, you know, you made this point last show, and I took a little bit of a deeper dive into it, and I have to say, I, I said to myself, and I think I said it out loud, Joe's right. This is such a tough, tough division. I mean, you even look at the points in the other division. Yep. And uh, if the Red Wings were in any other division, I don't want to say they'd be contenders for the playoffs, they'd be up but, there. They, but they would be up there. That's right. But they'd be you, you they'd could... be in they'd be within striking distance of a playoff spot if they were another division. Yeah. This is one hell of a division to play I mean, in. No one thought the Florida Panthers would be as good as they are right now. Yeah. Everyone thought the Lightning would be as good as they are right now. The Canadians they fell off, but the Leafs they're playing pretty well. Uh, the uh, 
Well, that's Bruins. a surprise, isn't it? Which actually, which brings into the conversation, the Wings are going to be playing the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you said they'd beat the Leafs. I said they'd fall to the Leafs. What are you thinking now? I think they beat the Leafs because the Leafs have not played good hockey lately. And, I mean, they have played pretty brutal hockey lately. I mean, they, they have not played their quote-unquote Maple Leafs game. But, you know, the problem with Maple Leafs is, we talked about this in the baseball segment, they're, they are so analytically driven that they're killing their hockey team. Yeah, and you've said that before, too, which I always find ironic because you're the guy who's sitting here patent pending on an, on player analytical analytics models, and um, I find it interesting that you're critical of teams that are so heavily analytically driven. Um, yeah, because here's, here's the issue. You, you cannot discount the eye for your talent, right? When you watch the, the Maple Leafs, the one thing you see is they lack physicality, they lack defensive talent, and they lack goaltending. What wins you games in the NHL in the playoffs? Goaltending, goal defense, and physicality. Offense comes at a, at a premium in the playoffs. I mean, you have to be you, – your defense creates your offense. That's why I think the Bruins are in a little bit better of a spot because I think in the future they're going to have some really, really good players. But you look at the Maple Leafs. Their window is closing. Like, it's truly – like, it's going to be closing because they can't pay some of these players – Play, John Tavares is going to get older. Uh, they're going to have no defense. They're going to, they're goaltending. They have been the hodgepodge. They couldn't afford to pay Frederick Anderson. He's in Cal- Carolina right now, and playing really really well. I bet they wish they had him. But they have Peter Mrazek and, and, and Jack Campbell. Um, that's not something that you go hooray for upgrades. No, because analytics and hockey favors offense. It always has. So, so given that the Detroit Red Wings are a little less reliant on analytics, not that they don't use the way, them, but the lesser, way, lesser. The, so, the, what do you think? What do you think Stevie's going to do? That what do you think's his next step to getting this team closer to being in playoff contention? The way Stevie, next the way Stevie has approached everything has been against the analytical models. But in Tampa Bay, he used a little bit of analytics, but he uses he uses brain too. You know, he used his hockey brain. Instinct. He didn't use he didn't use all analytics, but he used his hockey brain. When he looks at this Rebels team, he knows Stevie Y knows I need a center. I need a second line center. I need that really, really bad. Because then you can move Suter down to the third line, and then you can put Rasmussen on the wing, and you can put Valeno on the fourth line, where he's kind of becoming a better player. I got to tell you, I think, I know that you like Rasmussen. I know Stevie likes Rasmussen, but I am still not on board with Rasmussen. I'm really not. And you know what? I was at the game, the first game he played, and his mom and dad were there, and they were wearing the jerseys, and they were so proud of him. And it was, you know, it was it was all about Ras that I'll day. I'll tell you why I like Rasmussen. I have not seen him develop I, the way I, I think tell, he needs to. I, I think Rasmussen's turned the corner. I think, uh, you know, when Holland drafted, when Ken Holland drafted uh, Michael Rasmussen, he, he was a project. He was literally a project. They, he needed to, the, the, he needed to gain the speed of the NHL. He didn't have the speed of the NHL players, but he's he became he would become like a good second line. I think he's player. a never-ending project. What do you call my projects? Reclamation projects. These are not the same. Oh, I'm just telling those, you. Those those projects are like taking. Uh, 
those those guys are like taking uh, the projects you're talking about, your reclamation projects, is like taking the Arizona Coyotes and making them a Stanley Cup champion team. Well, maybe the reclamation projects. Uh, I I think you know Valeno. Vale, I, I I'll tell you what. I have three players that I have not seen come along the way I had hoped. And if they don't, I give them one more season. And quite frankly, I wouldn't give them that. I'd give them to the end of this season. I think Stevie's going to have to make some decisions. Zadina, Valeno, and Rasmussen. Okay, those were supposed, those guys should have been up to uh, a much higher level than they are right now. And I think they're creating huge holes in the roster. I think you're right. We need a second line center. I think that's got to be one of Stevie's priorities. And then I think he's got to find himself a reliable D man. Mm-hmm. He's got to find a D man who he can build a defense around. I mean, he's got Mo Sider, but like poor Sider's kind of hanging out there on his own. I mean, he's being limped, you know, or he's, I feel as if, you know, he's, uh, you know, they pair him up with DeKaiser, they pair him up with another veteran, but Mo Sider's the strong one in that pairing. I mean, no matter what they do. So it's not like he's got a mentor. It's more like he's got a, um, you know, a, not even a crutch. I mean, I think he's got a ball and chain with some of these guys they are hooking up to this guy. He needs somebody who can really help elevate his game even more than what it is because he's got so much potential. Maybe Simon Edmondson's going to be that guy, you know, a brand new kid coming yeah. in and maybe they're going to become like a dynamic duo. I don't know, but I'll tell you what. Since we're talking about mentorship, here's something else I saw on the ice, and I saw it at least three times. I can tell you this. Part of the program, Dylan Larkin is absolutely 100% mentoring Lucas Raymond. Oh, yeah. Every time when, you know, Lucas Raymond, you know, uh, Raymond missed, he made a, uh, he mishandled the puck, and immediately, I, you know, they were going to the bench, and you saw Larks come over, tap him on the shin, and say, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, kind of like telling him it's because you could tell he was frustrated. So you saw him. I there were three instances in that game where I saw Dylan Larkin either praise Raymond or encourage him after after a mishandled play. There's no doubt that they have that they have some chemistry there, and that that's going to be a long term. I, I really don't think it's chemistry. I think what you have saw in the last year is Dylan Larkin become the ultimate team leader, like Stevie Y wanted wanted. Be. But I didn't see him doing that with anybody else. He particularly well has taken Lucas Raymond. Let me, let me give you an example. Stevie, Stevie Y one time did the same thing to a certain number ninety one, Sergey Fedorov. Mm-hmm. Sergey missed the he missed the breakaway. I, I think it was on Grant Fuhrer or whatever. Misses the breakaway and he's he's up, he's visibly visibly upset. And Stevie Y comes off the bench because he wasn't playing on his line at the time. He goes, it's okay. Get him in the next time. The next time Fedorov came out, scored a goal, breakaway, and tore Grant Fuhrer's ass in, in a in a right. Well, and that's great. And so I see I see Larkin, you know, Larkin being that for 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 Raymond. But who do we have who's being that person for Mo Sider? It, it's not Mark Stahl. No. It, it's it's not it, it's not. You know, Sam Gagne, it's not Danny DeKaiser. I'm going to say this. It I'm, sure as hell isn't Phil Bronick. I'm, I'm going to say this with all um, this might be the hottest take I've ever had. Oh, boy. I don't think Moritz Sider needs a lead guy who shows him the way. Because I think Moritz Sider is so far along. I think he's smarter than half the guys he plays with. I mean, I think every I think he's smarter than every player that he, that on that revenue defense. I think he's the smartest player I mean, okay, I think when you look at smart players, right, and you go, 
Okay, Victor Hedman, right? Defenseman. Uh, you go, you go, Charlie McAvoy. He's defenseman. You know, when have it, when has any of them shown the the potential and actually show what they're gonna be going down the line? What he's done in in year one. I mean, this should scare people because this guy could be potentially all time great. Well, you gotta say he's got something going on. When Nick Lindstrom says. He's better than I was he, at that age. Here's 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 the issue, issue with Cider. He doesn't really have an issue, but here's the issue with Cider. He just needs to keep getting better. And if he gets better, the sky is the f and limit with this kid because he's so smart in the way he plays the game. He does remind you of Nicholas Lindstrom. He does the, the the little plays that he makes. Like Nick, Nicholas Lindstrom made, he made most of his money off using the Joe Lewis backboards, the, the boards, because they used to have a big balance center, mm-hmm. and he would shoot the puck, and it come back out, and Thomas Holmstrom would score the goal. Like, that's what he would do when he didn't have, like, a big, you know, he didn't have a lane to shoot in. In Cider, you're seeing the same thing. Like, with that goal with uh, with uh, Zadina, he didn't shoot that to shoot it. That was, not a, that was not a shot to score. That was a shot to get a rebound. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's an elite level play. Like, that is, when you talk about smart, Talking about, you know, when Dylan Larkin made that play to Bertuzzi where he flipped the puck up uh, and it hit the glass and it bounced right to Bertuzzi on a breakaway. Those are plays that you don't see from regular players. Those they're are, like trick shots in pool. You yeah, know what they're, I mean? They're, that's you, With Cider doing it this early, the sky's the limit for that kid. Here's where I think the danger lies with no Cider. I think... Number one, I said I I think we risk him getting bored and and frustrated and restless if this team does not come along and get up to his level and fast. So I think that Stevie needs to bring on. A, I don't think that's going to happen. But Stevie needs to bring on a D man who they can pair him with that's going to keep him engaged and excited to stay with this organization, um, and to continue that will allow him to continue to develop uh, you know his already outstanding talent. I think that's where the potential fear is with Mo Sider. Um, and I don't want to see his progress get delayed or retarded in any way because he doesn't have someone to play with him uh, that is going to, to bring that out. I think that's I think that's. I think if you're looking for a defenseman for the, the revenues to bring in next year, I think a guy like uh, John Klingberg would be good. Josh Man- uh, Josh Manson, maybe even like a Will Butcher or Ben Sherratt. I think they can really play to that level of what you know Sider has. But I think Simon Edmondson could be that guy too. Well, you know, then you're going to have a couple of very young guys, but both played in the Swedish league. So I mean, they're going to have that in common. Um, you know, but I I think that they're still. I'm a huge advocate of having at least some veteran presence, one on at least one on office, one on defense that you can rely on when things get challenging. And the one thing that challenges younger players, and this doesn't doesn't this is regardless of their talent. Now, and I'll give you this: Cider is about as poised as a young player as I've ever seen in my three four years of intensely watching this game, but. Young people in general tend to be impatient and they tend to get very distracted by the, the 
you know, stress of the day. So there's going to be times when it, you know, we haven't seen Mo Sider put in a pressure situation yet. We haven't seen him. He hasn't been in a playoff environment yet, obviously. So my concern is that if you get this team up to the point where you've got Mo Sider who can perform in a, a higher stakes environment, I really do think that a veteran presence will be beneficial for him to have when he finds himself at that higher level of play and should something not go according to plan. I, I just, I, I, I think, you know, it's one thing that's interesting. I compare it to like politics, right? You like to talk about I'm a politician and it's true. And, and people listen to the show, you know, they know that, that, you know, I've, I've been very involved for a long time and I'd say I'm pretty accomplished in, in, you know, my particular trade, but you know, I, I mentored and I worked with elected officials for a lot of years. Yeah, but I thought I knew how to be one. But I'll tell you this: after ten I years, I, I get there and and it's different. I don't think that it's still different. I don't think there's a guy that's coming in and teaching Mossad or anything. I disagree with you. I I, think... I, I I don't no because the plays that he's making right now, they're they're ninety they're ninety five percent of the NHL cannot make. I'm not doubting his performance. You know, I've been a huge fan the, the, and advocate the, the, of both siders since you saying, before he even got you, you here. Are saying, you are saying, this is what you're saying, that he needs guidance. In an untested environment that he hasn't been in before, like the playoffs. But when you get to the playoffs, yeah, that'll be untested waters, but I'm sure that they'll make an acquisition at the trade deadline when they know that they're in contention for something. And that's when I think there needs to be a veteran presence. That's my point. Obviously, you're gonna have veteran presence because Eisman wants it, but you're not. You're not. You're, well, no. you're talking about getting rid of all the defensive veterans. You're talking about getting rid of Kaiser, getting rid of Stahl. Stahl's not good. Of... Letty's not good. You know what? If you want a defensive guy who is is, uh... give me a veteran defenseman that we can put up with Mo Sider, and who is tested in a playoff environment. The problem is here's the issue. If you get a good defenseman who is older, you you have to be a, a contending team because they want to play with a contender. But if you wanted a guy like that, there's there's guys like uh, Goligowski. There's uh, uh, there's uh, you know there's Ian Cole. There's PK Subban, Chris Letang. Well, that's I mean, come on, Letang and Subban are a couple of my favorites. What do you think? Do you think do you think Stevie makes a play at the trade deadline? For either a second line center or a defenseman, yes or no? No, he does that in NHL draft. All right. And I think that's what he does, and I think that's what it's going to be. What do you think the Red Wings are going to do here? They've got uh, they've got halfway through this kind of challenging schedule. They got a couple more teams coming up. I know you think they're going to take, uh, or you think they're going to take Toronto. I think they're going to lose to Toronto. Uh, yeah, I love them, but I think they're going to lose to Toronto. If they don't get the Toronto game, it's over. So you're saying that the Toronto game next tomorrow is a pivotal game? Yeah, because you got to play Carolina next week. You go to play Carolina, then you play the two Florida teams. Yeah, that's going to be. And hell. then you go on a West Coast trip where you go to Calgary, which they're white hot. You go to play Edmonton, they're they're turning the corner, and then you go play Vancouver, and then you have games against the Bruins and the Lightning and the. You this it, it you have to. You have They're going to come back whipped little puppies from that road trip. Let me tell I mean, you, you gotta, that is tough. You got to think about it. Like the Red Wings' schedule is not in their favor at all. I mean, 
when you go to when you play Carolina, Florida, and Tampa, you're playing the, the three best teams in the league. So are you saying then that their performance against the Maple Leafs on Saturday is going to set up their mindset for the road trip ahead? I think I think this I think this Toronto game, these next two home games, if they don't win one or both of them, Stevie's selling parts at the, de- the trade deadline. Oh, so I see. So what you're saying is that these two game that this game is pivotal in determining what Stevie's going to do. Yeah, because you're you're at okay. you're, you're at a port you're at a. Por- yeah, I had to understand that because yeah, you weren't you weren't really putting it all together. You're, you're for in me. a portion where so you go you play you play Toronto tomorrow. You play Carolina, Tampa Bay, Florida on the road. You come back. You play the hopeless, hapless Arizona Coyotes, which that should be a win. They are now. You got. You got to say whenever you think that our the Red Wings. No, the, the, shape, the Coyotes. You got to look at that club. The, the Coy- oh my the Coyotes god! Coyotes are they're a joke. Yeah, it, you, after the Coyotes, you play a great freaking team in Minnesota. Then you go to Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Then you play the Seattle Kraken and give up more goals than the, some of these hookers in the email would blow. <laughs> then you go. Then you go play the. You, you play Philly, the Islanders, Tampa Bay again, Pittsburgh, New York, and then you know you play Ottawa a couple times. They're fighting for a playoff spot. Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, lot, Toronto. Yeah, it's brutal. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a brutal. Uh... This division doesn't make it easy. And yeah. The fact that the the rubbings are not even close in talent wise, that brings up another issue. So we're gonna see now if Joe is right, if the Toronto game makes a difference as to whether Stevie if, gets active at the trade deadline. Toronto or Carolina. Oh, Toronto or Carolina. But they have the, they have to win one or both. They can't and they have, they can't show their ass on one of these games. So what you're saying is that if they lose both, Stevie's gonna be active at the trade deadline. If they win one or the other Stevie won't be active at the trade no, line? If, if, deadline. If, if they lose both of them, yeah, he's selling pieces off at the deadline. Okay. If not, he's going to see what happens when they go on that road trip, and then that's when they're going to make the thing. All right, you guys heard it here first that what Joe has anticipated. The next segment we will be talking about Michigan State sports and the joke that they became. We will be talking about that. Welcome to In Between the Whistles. I'm Joe. I'm Cindy, and you are listening to the Cindy and Joe Show, your hometown team on Between the Whistles Detroit Network, where we talk all Detroit sports, and as you can tell by the bumper music, we talk college sports, U of M and Michigan State, and Joe has some hate for my Spartans. What is wrong with you? Crickets. Crickets. He says nothing. Let me just put this to you nicely, okay? Michigan State, with their football with their football program, I love it. Mel Tucker, great. He's doing a great job. 100%. With the hockey program, they can't... It's embarrassing how bad this program has fallen. That's number one. Number two, I'm watching Michigan State basketball. They've lost the last five out of six. They uh, they look helpless. They look hapless. And this doesn't look like an Izzo team. Doesn't look like an Izzo team. You know so what's I mean? happened? What's the problem? Why? What do you attribute 
this tragic turn of events. Yeah, I can tell you this right now. I don't know what's going on with Michigan State hockey. Really, just, I really don't understand how you could be one of the prominent universities in the, in the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan, where hockey talent is goddamn everywhere, and you can't, you're finishing last in the Big Ten. Joke. Fired. That, that coach needs to be fired. Like, that he was a former coach of the U.S. national development team. And all I've seen this dude develop is losses after losses after losses. Take that man and strap him to one of those rockets in Russia and strap him and send him to the moon. I'm sick of it. And with Tom Izzo, I don't know what's going on with Tom Izzo. I don't know what's going on with Michigan State Spartans basketball team. I know they're not the most talented, but you know what I don't see from Michigan State Michigan State basketball team? What's that? I don't see heart. I don't see fight. I don't see tenacity. I see, I see, uh, I see a guy who is a senior in Gabe Brown who just stands at the three point line and wants to get past the ball. It's like, bro, do something. Like, for God's sakes, do something. Like, this is the second year in a row Michigan State has looked like absolute ass in basketball, absolute ass. And the reality of the situation is this, like. The year that Michigan State had a shot to win the national championship, COVID messed all of it up because I think Cassius Winston and Michigan State was going to win the national championship because they were they were so good. But let me tell you something. I think we are seeing a new dawn of age. I hope it doesn't sound good. It's not good. Because I think Tom Izzo is at the end of his line. I think... Michigan State hockey is becoming more and more of a joke by the day, and I don't really know what's left to become. Because when Michigan Tech is is passing you, and Western's passing you, and every podunk school in, in this in the directional schools of Michigan is passing you, okay, cool. Not really. Anyways, anyways. Well, well, look. I mean, it's clear as day that Michigan State is officially a football school. Oh, oh, there's no doubt. And that's all due to my boy, Mel Tucker. And you know why? Because anyone, anyone, anyone know why Mel Tucker is, is, is doing it the right way? It's because he actually has smarts. He actually has the ability to adapt to the new age of college sports. Tom Izzo has had a very difficult time adjusting to the transfer portal. He doesn't get it. He doesn't like it. He doesn't even like it. Uh, and, 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 and you look at the hockey team, I mean, I don't know where they get this talent from, but I, I'm pretty sure they get it from none of the, the AAA teams in, in Detroit. Because these kids look like they can't even play on a freaking ball hockey league. <laughs> That's pretty harsh, Joe. That's pretty harsh. But I'll tell you what, they aren't the only ones that are tanking, okay? So we can't just... We can't just talk about Michigan State hockey going down. You, you know, Michigan hockey hasn't been playing well either. Michigan hockey's going to win the national champ. They're going to be in the national. They're going to be winning. They're going to be winning. They were in a little bit of a slump too, and yeah, yeah, and they got that whole thing. But hey, listen, listen, this is not about Michigan. Well, and, and look at us. Look at the U.S. men's team. Talk about embarrassing. And I've got friends on that team. Yeah, you can tell Andy Mealy is actually like play his game. 
Yeah, well, let me tell you, I, I, I all right. So, does he tell him to get off? Here's his, the point. Tell him to get off his ass and practice a wrist shot for God's sake. You had a couple of Michigan players on that team too. Who, excuse me, but like dropped the ball, dropped the puck, mishandled it. They should have never, ever been knocked out as soon as that they were. But they were coming home early. So it seems like we've got a couple of challenges here when it comes to college and uh, amateur hockey here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., so, but that aside, okay, I don't think, I think that clearly there's been a turning point for Michigan State sports, and I'm wondering if it isn't because there was so much focus put on Michigan State football that perhaps the other teams, the other sports found themselves in the shadows, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it. There's a lot of psychological play going on in in sports especially with younger players you know they're very susceptible to that kind of thing but um they've got to get their mojo back I'll agree with you there they've got they've lost heart the basketball as well as hockey they got to get the mojo back and I think once they do you're going to see them return to because they're they were both both these teams were playing well in the first parts of their seasons it's the last Michigan team to win a national championship in uh any sport Michigan State hockey and they have fallen so hard in the past year, like I can't even watch that team. Like they're garbage. Well, it, well, and that's the thing is, if you look at both, well, same thing with with Izzo's team here in the last five six games. I mean, they have not only lost, they've lost huge. I mean, they've just been abominable. Okay, here's the difference between Izzo and Michigan State hockey. At least Izzo is actually like a good coach. Michigan State's hockey coach Dayton Cole. This guy, yeah, he he reads his hockey game plans off the back of a, a, a frosted flakes. Gun <laughs> like this guy, I, I've never seen a team less disciplined, less prepared to play Big Ten hockey. Like you know, Big Ten hockey is hard. It's a hard. It's a hard. It's a hard conference playing when you got Minnesota, your boyhood Brooks coach. That I know. You got Wisconsin. You have Boston University. Boston's on the Big Ten. Oh, you're talking Big Ten. I'm sorry. I thought you were just talking Premier. You have Mich- you have Michigan in the Big Ten. You have Notre Dame in the Big Ten. You have Penn State in the Big Ten. They became they became a really really good hockey program, by the way. And you have Wisconsin. All those teams mixed together, and Michigan State finds oh, and Ohio State. Ohio State has some good hockey teams too. But Michigan State, no. When's the last time you heard a Michigan State player get drafted or be? Uh, he be he was drafted and now he plays for the Michigan State. You don't. This guy Dayton Cole was supposed to be a guy who got kids out of the National Development League team mm-hmm. and brought him to Michigan State, and he's failed at every opportunity he's had. See, at least with Tom, at least with Tom Izzo, at least with Tom Izzo, at least yeah, his players go to the pros. They do. It's some like this team that right. he, he has right now. None of them are going pro. But anyways. That's well, we're just we're just hash we we're rehashing this garbage, but I sit here today, and I tell you, as of now, Michigan State basketball, Michigan State hockey, are dead. What you're saying is, the Michigan State Spartans have got the blues. They've got, they've, <laughs> they've got more than blues, and I, I don't know I don't know. What's and gonna, we're not talking about Wolverines. I don't I don't know what's going to kick this team's ass and and get them in the rear. But maybe Izzo, maybe Izzo sprinkles pixie dust and they get to they get to the final four. I don't know, guys. I don't know if the guy the guy's made of like 
uh, he's like Jesus, okay? <laughs> he makes water and a wine sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. There's some teams he takes to the Final Four. Uh, he wins in the NCAA tournament. You're like, how in the hell did he do that? And then there's teams that he has the most talent. The team he gets bounced out in the second round. See with Jared Jackson when he he started that uh, that white kid that plays in Israel right now. I don't know. If it's, uh, ben J- Joseph or something. I don't know. See, but the, he 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 sat he he started him over Jared Jackson who's playing for the Memphis Grizzlies right now. I think I think I think the ills at Michigan State are all psychological. I really don't think it's a talent problem. I don't think it's I I, I have a, I think that from the coaching staff all the way down, it's it's a mental game problem, and they've got no, to fix that. I'll, I'll stop you right there. For Michigan State basketball, it is talent. None of these guys that you see on this, they're going to be on an NBA roster. I mean, at least with Michigan, okay? Michigan's not even a good basketball team, okay? They're really not a great basketball team, but they got this kid named Diabate who likes to throw haymakers at each other, at other players. Not the point. <laughs> well, at least he's not throwing benches or punches or anything like that. No, he was a part of that. <laughs> um, Diabate is going to be a pro. Yeah. There's this, there's this other player that they have, Clay Caleb Houston. They think it's going to be going pro, but I'm telling you right now, that kid sucks. Anyways. <laughs> You're not mincing any words tonight, Joe. You're not mincing any words. But here's the thing. I think that they're going to have to make – I'll agree. I see a downward trajectory. They're going to have to change. Again, I'm a huge proponent, always have been, that you change the mental game, and then then it changes on the court, on the field, on the ice, whatever. you got to change. you got to win the game in your head before you can win it on the field. That's always been my uh, perspective, and it always will be, because you've got to program yourself. So I think they've got to change whatever mental obstructions they have going on here. Clearly, they've got them in East Lansing. Yep. That's got to change before we're going to see any kind of improvement um, on the court for basketball or, or on the, uh, you know on the ice for for our, Mich- our MSU hockey. So that's that's my perspective. I'm waiting to find out. First off, they got to find out what that is. Let's see if they can make that change. But you know what? Here's the good news: whether they change or not. Anybody who's following Michigan, Michigan State basketball, hockey, all of it can be found on our Facebook page where Joe diligently updates everyone as far as you want to keep track of all the Michigan teams, all your college, uh, MSU and, and Michigan State athletics. You don't have to go to all these websites. All you, you don't have to go to all these sites, all this social media. You just go to Between the Whistles Detroit and we keep you updated on them all. One stop shop. Yeah, you know, sucks because you know. Joe is so humble. These these teams that I root for. Uh, I mean, I just saw Matthew Stafford win a Super Bowl for God's sakes. Like, can I get some like winning? Actually, like at least Mel Tucker. He's got- such a Debbie Downer. Would you quit being a Debbie Downer? We've got to be supportive and be there for our guys. In good and in bad times, we got to encourage them in the difficult, challenging times. we got to cheer with them during the victories. That's what we need to do, and we're going to do that because we are your hometown team. This just then, right now, Michigan State is leading Penn State 2-1 in the Big Ten tournament. There you go. But they'll probably lose it because they're a bunch of losers. Oh, my gosh. They'll probably lose it in the third period where they give up four goals like the Red Wings do. You know? I mean, at least it's, 
At least the Rebels have one good line that I can Did you ever watch. hear that song, Joe? Do you have it on your little playlist? Because, what, Rocky Man? No, because this is the... <laughs> because when people listen to the Cindy and Joe show, you know what they you know what they hear? They hear joy and pain, sunshine and rain. And guess who the sunshine and guess who the joy is? And guess who the pain and rain is? It ain't hard to figure out. Because I'm truthful. And I'm hopeful. You're you're a politician. You're always hopeful. <laughs> Get out of here with that nonsense. You always think you you think that like you think that like money's gonna come out of the air. I'm ending this segment right now. Go green. Uh, I'm not even excited about it no more. Just um, change it to blue and 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 then play Elton John. That's why they call it the blues. Because we are singing the blues during the winter. I can't even listen to this negativity anymore. I will see you next week, Joe. I'm between the whistles Detroit on the Cindy and Joe show. Next week, we're going to hear the funeral march, you know, for the first time this year. It might be the Red Wings and Michigan State basketball. And you can hear it all where? Spotify? Apple. Apple Podcasts? Anywhere you get your stupid-ass podcasts. Listen to Cindy and Joe's show and get some pleasantries going on. Leave me alone and then... Go and if you if you wanna if you wanna get your anger out like I do right now, go to Wild Bills in any Michigan location. Pretty sure they got dank weed there too. Cindy's trying Cindy's <laughs> trying to post something with her whole community about weed. Anyways, just get, go to go to Wild Bills. Get your, Sounds like Joe's already had some. Get your bong. Get your smokeless tobacco. Get your vapes if you're one of those hippies. And if you like cigarettes, like like Spook over here, just keep uh, ripping away because you know those Marlboros come nice. All of our friends over at Wild Bill's Tobacco have everything that you need. All of your tobacco needs, whether you roll your own or whether you want to buy them pre-done, they can accommodate everybody, and that's why I love those guys. And their social media guy didn't even know who we were, so what a nice guy. He's the only one on the planet who doesn't. Yep, some social media guy. This is Cindy and Joe show.